Hello and welcome to episode 250 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan. And today I have Joanna here with me. Hey, Joe, how are you doing? Um, ask me later. It's eight o'clock here, Shen. This is very <laughs> early for me. I I never win, you know, like... Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time I'm on the podcast, it's either Tony or you. And Tony is like, it's 1 a.m. here, you know, and then you... I mean, but Tony's kind of like the outlier, I guess. Uh <laughs> He's the weird one here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we we have a guest for for you listeners today. We have uh, Enrico Bruni. He's the managing director and head of Europe and Asia at TradeWeb, and uh, he uh, spoke with me about uh, electronification in the repo space. But before we get into that, Joe, I know you just got back from your holiday. How's the how's the week back been? Um, it's mostly scrambling to, um you know, uh, come come up to date with all the things that happened while I was away, which was uh, just a small, a small news event, Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I feel like I haven't really had a holiday, but it was lovely. I was in Tyrol, which is a region that is in both Italy and Austria, um, and I was in both sides of it. Um, I went to see a friend on the Austrian side, and then I went skiing on the Italian side. And yeah, it was lovely. It, Italy's, it, I just love Italy. It's just so beautiful. The food is really, really good. Mm. Um, and the region where I was, I'd never been before. It's it's kind of quite unique because it's sort of a mix of Austrian and Italian culture. And the government's made a big effort to kind of make all the languages in the region equal. So everyone speaks either or both Italian and German. And then all the food is like a kind of mix of Italian and German. Um, sorry, Austrian. Sorry, good Lord, Austrian. Um, <laughs> And then there's a, a language called Ladin, I think it's how it's pronounced, which is only spoken in kind of a few valleys in the South Tyrol, and they're trying to preserve that also. So, yeah, a little lesson there for us about including other cultures or something. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know if we want to talk about COVID-19 on the pod. It feels a bit boring to be doing this in 2022. But it was really, a, it was quite a big feature of my trip because it was the first time I've really traveled since February 2020. Um, and I haven't, you know, I've never worn a mask on the plane or had to sort of show vaccine credentials along with my passport and that when I go through borders. Um, but it, it was it was just quite striking how, and this was another kind of news event that happened while I was away and then I had to kind of adjust to when I got back. Um, when you're in Italy and Austria and Germany, which I was very briefly, you can't do anything without a mask or without um, what they call their super green pass, which is the kind of Schengen equivalent to our NHS COVID pass. It's like a QR code. You have to like scan it every time you go into a restaurant. But yeah. they are super strict about it. You have to, wh- wh- whatever you want to do, gym, restaurants if you want a ski pass anything you just you can't function normally unless you're vaccinated and you have one of these little passes and then I came back into the UK and in the time that I was away the government's lifted the mask mandate completely so like on the train back from Gatwick everyone's just coughing on each other and like licking the poles again it was it was just like it was was such a culture clash it was it was quite destabilizing for like the the trip back from Gatwick. I mean, there were people like staring at me with my mask on and kind of going, eh, hey, wait, what are you doing with your mask on? Like, lame. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, now, now England's, England's, just, I mean, the, the UK is basically just acting like there's, like COVID's gone. So, yeah, but I, I hear that's not the case in Hong Kong. No, and I don't know how it would feel to go to a place where masks aren't being worn. I, I don't know. It's, it's become such a part of our, I don't, uh, I guess our daily attire, <laughs> that to take it away now would be kind of weird. I mean, of course, I, I don't like wearing them, but, uh, you know, it's it's just like, 
I, I when when, it, when we first started, like I would I would have I I definitely left my apartment uh, building without a mask like accidentally, um, but now it's that doesn't happen anymore. Like if I am if I go outside without it, it just I feel like I'm feel naked. Naked, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So too. it's so it's so weird how like it's. <laughs> How things have moved, and well, uh, I'm I'm not going to go into the details of how Hong Kong is handling the uh, the, the new Omicron wave. Well, not new anymore, but uh, uh, it's not great. So uh, I'm just going to leave it at that because going into it will just ruin my whole week. So. <laughs> but I, I heard you guys had like panic buying and stuff again. I mean, it feels like oh, 2020. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Again, so e- even yesterday or the, the the past couple of days, like the supermarkets were supermarket shelves were all emptied out. Um, <laughs> even if you were to buy online, I think some um, some uh, vendors, I guess, uh, were saying that I'm so sorry, we have to cancel your order. We don't have enough stock, uh, so just bear with us. That kind of crap. But um, yeah, all good. Um, <laughs> you can still get food somehow. It's just that you have to be a little bit more adventurous or maybe venture a little bit further, go to a few supermarkets instead of just one. Yeah, all of that sort of jazz. So oh um, it sounds like it just sounds like yeah. the beginning of COVID again. Oh, well, well, we weren't yeah, going yeah, through it. it if... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just strange how like it, people people start to panic and um, I mean lack of information or clarity from the government just results in, in that even though there's nothing being done as yet there's no there, there are no um, uh, what, what do you call it confirmed rules or like timelines on on certain things that the government wants to do but yet people are like panicking um, yeah lining up and and uh, emptying shelves at supermarkets so that's great <laughs> Come, come spend some time here. We have we have fixed the problem. It's all gone away. COVID yeah, I'll have to, everyone will be staring at me to uh, you know with my mask on. So I'll have to do with that. <laughs> I hate them because like my my glasses messed up. But on the other hand, like I had this really terrible pimple on my chin for the whole of last week, and it was so great just to be like, oh, I don't have to worry. Who cares? No one will see it. <laughs> that, that's uh, that's that's great for all listeners. <laughs> Anyway, um, let's let's get to the interview that I had with Enrico. Yeah. It, it's 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 we had a lot of fun too. So uh, we'll go to that. And till the next time, see ya. All right. Today we have Enrico Bruni, managing director and head of Europe and Asia at TradeWeb, joining us on the podcast. Hi, Enrico. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? All good. Hi, Wei Shen, and thanks for having me. I, um, I'm very good, thank you, and very, very excited. I, uh, I'm a big fan of podcasts in general, and me doing one, it's uh, very exciting. So thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> no worries. Well, before we delve into our topic for today, I mean, could you perhaps tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your remit at TradeWeb? Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, um, I've been uh, at TradeWeb for a long time. I, I uh, joined uh, the company in December of 2002, which is, makes it all, almost 20 years, which is in itself a bit scary. Uh, but it was a, a very fun ride. It has been a uh, very fun ride. My uh, job at TradeWeb uh, is to be responsible for the business that we call the international business. So uh, Europe and Asia, emerging markets, um, and uh, for 
uh, also I help coordinating our you know data strategies. Um, uh, so so that's kind of my uh, holistic remit. Hmm, that's interesting. Maybe we could get into that a, a little later on into our topic as well. So, um, uh, so okay, yeah. So today we're actually going to be talking about electronification in the repo market space. Uh, to start with, perhaps could you give an overview of the current state of electronic trading in the repo space? I mean, how does it vary from like other fixed income markets? Absolutely, yeah. It, it, repo is like a really interesting, uh, uh, a really interesting market to electronify. It's somewhat personal to me as well because I started my career as an intern on a repo desk in in Milan on one of the U.S. banks uh, a long, long time ago. Uh, and then, so there's a little personal element as well. Uh, I would say repo is a is an is an interesting market. It's uh, because it's uh, essentially the um, People would say the plumbing. I like to use more the bloodstream of bond markets. Right, an efficient bond market is only as efficient as an efficient repo market. So it allows people to you know fund their longs and cover their shorts and and stuff. So so it allows participants to you know use leverage and and uh, amplify volume. So that that's that's a, a essential part of the market. It's interesting. It's quirky, particularly the space on which TradeWed operates uh, in the dealer to client space um, here mm -hmm. in Europe. And uh, uh, it's uh, 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 because this part of the market has been uh, slower to uh, electronify for a reason. It, there's a lot of different flavors of repo execution. Uh, there's a lots of different type of repos. Uh, repo reverse repo, buy sell back is a special repo or a general collateral repo, tri-party repo, uh, open-ended repos with mid-life events. I mean, it's complicated, and uh, hence uh, uh, it's uh, he, ha he has uh, uh, kind of fallen a little bit behind. Also, in the dealer-to-client space, the uh, repo market um, tends to be non-cleared, and therefore there's a credit element to it. At the end of the day, if you were to kind of imagine uh, or, or conceptualize a repo is a collateralized loan, you know, so there is a credit element and being bilateral, there's an element of credit and documentation as well that uh, complicates the workflow. And so these are the reasons why the market we think right now in Europe is only single digit uh, electronic, uh, you know, mid single digits uh, is difficult to estimate, right? But uh, uh, it is, uh, um, we think it's a mid single digits. And also the, at this point we are at early days, although our, our numbers are growing very, very significantly. We, we, we have, uh, you know, now 41 liquidity providers on our repo platform and we, uh, um, we traded, uh, you know, uh, no, we, uh, we had outstanding balances of 818 billion in, in 2021, which is an increase of 33% year over year. So it is moving, but it's still like there's a lot of work to do, and like the universe of participants uh, uh, is growing fast, but it's still fairly concentrated in like the most kind of specialized players. Okay, I mean, you said that there's a lot of different flavors, and you mentioned, yeah, the different types of uh, repos, right? I mean, which ones would you say are the easiest, or uh, are the easiest to electronify, or is that, or there is, a, a, I guess, a higher demand for that specific type of repo to be electronified first? Yes, it's a great question, and one one that allows me also to do some parallels on on 
this is not the first time we launched a repo platform in the direct to client space in in in, uh, in the in Europe. We we uh, had our first attempt in 2009-10 or something like that, and we tried to do too many things at once, right? Among other things, and not wasn't a great timing anyway. But also we tried to do too many things at once. In this uh, second uh, effort, which we started a, a couple of years back, we decided to take more of a uh, call it a reverse onion approach. So we start with the core and then we add the more complex layers. So we started with the plain vanilla uh, repo, reverse repos, uh, and we were looking at uh, um, uh, automating a very specific workflow of, of lists of, of, of repos, right? So, and uh, um, so in order to facilitate the execution, right, to standardize the communication layer between the buy side and the sell side and allowing the buy side to communicate more clearly, uh, you know, what they wanted to, uh, you know, or or lend and also to which accounts they wanted to mm. uh, have that uh, more lending and the sell side to be able to digest its information digitally and and therefore price it uh, more effectively and then we as i said little by little we're adding layers uh, to to uh, to the, uh, the, the the element now to answer your question the most complex uh, 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 elements are the open-ended repos because they tend to have what people call green life events right so re-rating or early close outs and so forth. So that changes the state of the transaction during the course of its life. And hence, uh, it's a little more complex as a workflow to manage, but it's something we are bringing to market uh, very soon. Uh, we do believe that uh, um, repo is a is an exciting marketplace for us because it's uh, dear to client uh, space, not electronic, as I said, in contrast to the dealer to dealer market, which is very electronic in, in and in the US. And uh, um, so we think the opportunity is great, uh, uh, really uh, exciting, uh, and uh, uh, therefore the you know transformation. And we like to transform markets for the better. It's a little bit what we kind of do. So we're putting a lot of investment uh, in it, uh, and, and uh, you know we'll continue to do so in the next uh, you know coming months. Okay, interesting. And I would like to come back to the investments that TradeWeb is actually, you know, putting into this space. But before that, I mean, talking about uh, the barriers itself, I mean, from the client perspective, because this is, uh, as, as you mentioned earlier, the D2D market is very electronified already. This is the, you're, you're basically targeting the, the dealer to client uh, portion of it, right? So what are, you know, some of the major barriers that currently exist or that, you know, hinder uh, hinder uh, additional electronification, you know, to, to certain repos? Yeah, so as I said uh, earlier, and to your point uh, just now, there's a lot of different types and there's a lot of mm. different workflows than in the execution process. And execution is also complex by uh, because it's not just the moment when you agree on the transaction, but it's what happens before the transaction on the pre-trade side and what happens afterwards uh, on the post-trade risk management, but also most important in repo on the settlement side uh, of things, right? And so there's a lot of, uh, of work that needs doing. So the more complex the transactions, the more complex the workflow, uh, the more you need to kind of work with, in partnership with different parts of the ecosystems uh, to make sure that that execution value gets captured uh, to the max uh, when also the pre-trade element, so call it the OMS for activity, 
for example, or the post trade element, the, the whole like um, set term MPs and risk management that gets uh, also uh, automated. So there's a lot of work we do with our partners in the OMS community. We, we've been working, um, uh, you know, we, we, we do have like some cleared uh, repos uh, workflows on. So we worked with, you know, in this case with LCH uh, a couple of years ago to bring this to market with some a couple of clients here that, you know, have been driving that change. So we, we tend to be fairly agnostic on pre-trade and post-trade because we believe that the end-to-end -end workflow is really what maximizes the value of the execution at the end of the day. So. Okay, okay. So uh, since you mentioned uh, the OMS players, I mean, what is their involvement in this? Uh, I mean, um, ex exactly what is the role that they play here? I mean, obviously they play a huge part in the execution uh, uh, because yeah. that's, well, that's, that's what they do, um, you know, but what uh, what should they be doing more, I guess, to help facilitate uh, electronify uh, this space or I guess uh, to that point, certain elements of this space at the moment, maybe the less complex repos, for example. Yeah, it's like it's all about connectivity, right? At the end of the day, like it's about connectivity and then enhancing that uh, 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 that uh, the spectrum of what can be pre-trade, uh, uh, you know, connected from the OMS to the venue and then post-trade consumed from the venue to the OMS. And really, it, it's 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 fairly um, uh, a standard workflow in one way, but also because Repo is so quirky, it, it, it needs a lot of, uh, you know, uh, customizations. And, and so keeping that pace is what uh, really we'll, we, we are working with uh, the, in partnership with the OMS community, as I said, downstream. And, and uh, you know, this, uh, it's very exciting. It's very exciting because it is a, a market with a lot of problems to solve and we like to kind of get into those, you know. <laughs> okay, could you give me, I guess, maybe one or two examples of some of those problems and, and, and I guess the, the work that you do with the other partners in the ecosystem, like you mentioned, uh, yeah, you do work with the UMS providers as well as the, like, the clearing partners like LCH, right? So how, uh, give me a couple of examples of how that, uh, I guess, how you work together to, to uh, I guess, solve some of these issues. So. Maybe I can go back to the early days of the revival of this uh, platform right now. So 2017, when we sat down with, you know, some clients on buy and sell side, and really that I would say there were two problems. Uh, one uh, around scaling, activity was getting uh, higher and higher, and with the higher activity, there's a particular like a, a repo that is a somewhat complex workflow, as we said, uh, carries higher operational risk, and therefore there was a need to that. And another need was for the particular sell-side uh, banks to be able to capture the information effectively and being able to, for example, take a full advantage of netting opportunities uh, and therefore better pricing for customers, right? And you can only do it in a structured communication layer like what the venue provides, right? And so we that was one of the earlier problems and in, in, in a way that's at the core of everything is just now we're bringing the solution to different layers of the onion right mm. okay okay i see so i mean but also uh you you didn't mention that uh, you know some repos are cleared some are not cleared i mean does that actually add to the complexity uh or is, is that is that changing are there more repos that are being pushed to clear now i mean what is uh and and, and if so what is driving that 
Yeah, so the um, the the element of um, bilateral execution in a credit, uh, uh, in some of credit intense product, it, uh, makes the workflow more complex. So having said that, we have developed uh, uh, tools to allow that execution to occur. Obviously, based on the you know the growth of the platform, is is functioning is efficient, uh, but certainly like uh, uh, clearing adds another level of standardization in the credit risk management in the documentation layer as well. And, and that uh, standardization helps electronification. There are a bunch of initiatives uh, um, that the industry is working on, some which we are working on with some partners which are cooking right now, uh, and, and that will help towards uh, uh, you know, um, uh, addressing this, this aspect in the marketplace. So more news to follow on this. Uh, so the Hopefully the listener can stay tuned uh, uh, on on this. There's a bunch, there's a bunch of initiatives on that that space we are running together with other parts of members of the ecosystem. What what are uh, if you could give some examples of that? I mean, some of those initiatives that are currently uh, happening. Uh, yeah, we are we are looking at uh, uh, particularly the post trade element. Uh, mm -hmm. Of it and how we can make it more efficient. In the context of there's an increased uh, um, focus on post trade, given the um, uh, uh, the CSDR regulation that 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 is coming to place. So there there's like a, um, you know um, focus on uh, fails and fails penalties and so forth. And so we are looking at. Uh, uh, looking at uh, ways to improve the process, but that's all as much as I can say at this point. Okay, <laughs> sure. A little element of surprise, right? <laughs> Maybe we'll get you back to talk about that when once it is, uh, you know, fully out. <laughs> I am curious. I mean, is there a difference between the? Or, or I'm sure there's a difference. But what is the? What what are the major differences between the the uh, electronification in the repo space? You know, from in in Europe versus the uh, US and in uh, Asia. So Europe and US are very much in parallel. Uh, so you, both European market and US market are highly electronified on the from a market structure perspective, uh, uh, highly electronified in the dealer-to-dealer uh, uh, -dealer space. And I would say we are at the same pace with our US colleagues. So in fact, our repo platform is truly global. Uh, you, we can anything, any bond you can trade on the platform, you can repo on the platform, assuming we support the workflow. Uh, as I said, you know, there's more to come on that front. But uh, so I would say US and Europe are very much in parallel uh, on that. And look, the markets are different. There are different types of repos that are more frequent. There's different kind of maturities that are more popular in one market versus the other. Uh, but Europe, US uh, are very much in parallel. Asia is uh, a bit behind. So, so we... Uh, it's a market we are looking at to develop. Uh, it's not a it's not it's technically possible, but it's not alive yet. If you know that. Mm. Electronically. Okay. Okay. So, uh, as as a self-proclaimed uh, market structure geek, I mean, what? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> How how can I mean since since Asia is lagging behind in that sense, um, you know what is being done? What are some of the initiatives maybe here in the region in the Asia region, you know that are you know trying to push that forward? Yeah, we're concentrating on the most um, uh, 
the most uh, the easiest market to electronify. So, for example, the JGV market. We, you know, we mm. we have some uh, uh, interesting volume coming out from the JGV market, and really, it's like a back to basic blocking and tackling and behavioral change. Right? Is what we need to do in those circumstances, like uh, uh, really like uh, show the benefit of the electronification to the marketplace and keep uh, uh, keep the, that momentum going by targeting, you know, clients on buy and sell side that have similar problems that we have observed elsewhere. And really it's behavioral, right? it's a lot of behavioral change because it's so, I said quirky, complex. Um, I always like to say there's nothing simple in Ripple Land. Uh, there is, a, um, you know, it, 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 there is an element of uh, more work to be done to shift the habits, right? And and so that, but that goes back to blocking and tackling exactly. But that's also in parallel with the bond markets here, right? As an electronification of, of just in general bond markets in, in Asia. I mean, it's still, I mean, bond markets all over the world has is has lagged behind, you know, yeah, equities uh, in the electronification uh, side of things. So, but but in Asia, it is, it is uh, um, I guess, lagging even more than it's, than the European and US counterparts, right? So, uh, is it is it you, you would say it is parallel to to that? I mean, if you were to compare um, uh, bond markets and repo and in in these different regions, one hundred percent, yes, that is a, a very strong parallel. You are one hundred percent right. And and, and is the the if anything, uh, and it's true actually, uh, the 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 repo is lagging the electronification of bond markets. You know, in in Asia, we've seen uh, a, a significant uh, pickup of uh, electronification rates in you know in multiple markets. I mean, of course, we were uh, one of the first in kind of the China uh, bond connect uh, channel. Mm. Not the That's first. right. So that's yeah. all electronic. Um, and, and, the, and the other channel we we, we worked on uh, two channels we work in China, the uh, CBM Direct and the Southbound channel. They're also fully electronic. Apart from China, there's like a lot more uh, going on in the region uh, uh, electronically, both in some government bond markets, Japan, Australia. But frankly, we're seeing a pickup also uh, in you know um, kind of Southeast Asia, Hong Kong, and Singapore, as well as like obviously the credits uh, at the credit market invested in inverted comma the hard currency issued kind of bonds uh, is the activity is growing in in, in China and we're starting to uh, see clients uh, coming to us to uh, um, take advantage of some of the innovation in Europe. To your point. Uh, and in the US, uh, into Asia. So we're starting to see interest in portfolio trading, for example, in the hard currency space uh, in, in the Asia region. And, and you know, that's been a great, uh, you know, story for us in the US first and in Europe uh, afterwards. And I think he's moving uh, east, uh, the, uh, the portfolio uh, kind of execution style. Um, so it's great. Uh, so I hundred long-winded way to say I agree with you one hundred percent. Okay, okay. Uh, and then just coming back to the investments that TradeWeb is making. I mean, in terms of uh, I guess maybe the roadmap for twenty twenty two. What are some of the investments that you you guys are making towards the platform itself? Are there new capabilities that you are going to be uh, I guess um, 
releasing or make available to your uh, clients? Yeah, absolutely. So we are looking at, again, a, a, um, extending, adding more layers to the onion. So uh, okay. extending the capabilities uh, we have already, we already have in both the uh, uh, kind of general collateral type uh, uh, workflows in the uh, operandi type workflows. As I said, there's uh, uh, some uh, stay tuned for some more news on the post rate side. Uh, but um, also, frankly, because of what we said earlier, we're investing in people. We are uh, adding in the space uh, because it's it's important uh, for us. Our assets are really people uh, because also technology is made by people. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, so that it's, it's you know, we, we, we are um, we do see a, ve a very interesting opportunity in this in this marketplace. It's a very big time, not very electronified, and uh, with a lot, as I said, of, of complexities, workflow challenges to solve. And we think we think we know we do well in those in those situations. So we we, we are we are uh, uh, we will continue to 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 invest in that in that space. Are you using any technologies, I guess, to um, uh, uh, let's say maybe AI or machine learning that uh, you know pick up some of the insights that of the activity that happen on your platform? Uh, yeah, we're looking at it. We're looking at it, and it's a uh, it's a great question actually because I forgot to mention one of the uh, one of the benefits of electronification in the repo market in every market, but in in repo is the ability to digitize the workflow, right? And when you digitize the workflow, you can contextualize that workflow with data surrounding it, right? Both the execution data and the surrounding data. So we are looking at analytics to uh, help a client execution, uh, and and we are very close to. Uh, um, in fact, we have a, we have a, um, we're literally about to um, uh, go out with a beta version for a. a Couple of clients that have expressed interest, and and then we'll obviously we will refine the the product and make it a real one uh, uh, in the in the next few weeks. Could you uh, give me an example of what it actually does? Uh, it, it enhances the uh, um, the pre-trade transparency in the marketplace by uh, um, trying to estimate where a curve could be. So how how do you use those technologies to actually point to that curve to where that curve might be? Uh, is it like you you look at uh, um, uh, contextualizing the execution really like uh, it's uh, it, it gets a little a little technical complicated and uh, uh, you know uh, the, the 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 interesting thing of this element though is like data gets uh, uh, has a it's almost like a fuel to to the to the automation the moment you have uh, more data more analytics you can benchmark the the, the execution then there is a uh, a better uh, way to direct uh, the electronic flow and, th and that's really what we're trying to do all the time it's like a, a virtual cycle right you, you you start from the execution and then you come back always to the execution Mm, okay, and and earlier, right, right at the beginning of this conversation, you did also say that you are all in charge of data strategies, right? I mean, just to um, perhaps give me an overview, like what? Uh, I mean, could you give me an example of how you execute? Oh, sorry, what TradeWeb's uh, data strategy is, particularly for the repo market, and how are you executing on that? So it's it's a great question. So the 
for us, like data has two elements, right? One element of uh, um, how can we, as I said, how can we improve the execution experience, the electronic execution experience by leveraging our, uh, the, our data set and, and contextualizing the contextualizing that execution. And that's one element of that. Uh, and the other element is uh, uh, to create analytics that, that we can distribute to clients or pricing that we can distribute to clients. Uh, and that really are the two uh, cornerstones, like how can data uh, you know, improve and uh, um, accelerate electronification, right? And the execution of the platform. And also, is there analytics we can and pricing the points that we can distribute to clients. Uh, these are the two cornerstones in general. So that's really, I mean, on, on that second point, the creating the analytics, that's really to that beta project that you're currently working on with clients, right? For example, yes, that's one, one of those. Mm, yeah. When, um, I mean, now that it's in beta, um, when do you, I mean, I'm sure that there's uh, still some work involved in that uh, before you, you actually put it into um, uh, production. Um, you know, when do you foresee that will, that you'll do that? It's uh, it really depends on on the on the feedback, right? So we are very much of a collaborative innovators, right? So when we do like for us, like this kind of way of uh, creating a product, whether it's a data product, an execution product, is very common. So we identify a problem, come up with an idea about the solution, then we iterate, and we iterate, we iterate, and the iteration kind of depends on the feedback as uh, you know sometimes the kind of problem set kind of changes once once you have a a first solution right and then you can maybe you can find the solution to a different type of problem so we iterate and as we iterate then we improve the product and then finally uh we put it to market but so it's a little uh, at this stage in the development it's a bit kind of uh difficult to anticipate uh but we're very used to it because as i said our core is this belief that innovation only happens if you do it collaboratively with clients and, and trying to address a specific problem. I'm just curious. I mean, in terms of the some of the because the beta is uh, available to a specific set of clients. Right? I mean, how many clients uh, are involved in that at the moment? Like a handful uh, of clients, so you, it's it's demanding also for the customer base, right? You you need to really have a, a an open discussion with the customers, right? They're allowed to take a look at it, understand, and give us feedback. It's it's an involved process, which is great because then mm. the product has uh, real uh, you know uh, user inputs from the beginning. Okay, okay, that's cool. Um, well, this has been, I think this has been, uh, this has been quite an insightful uh, conversation that we've been having. Now, I'd like to, I guess, now end on a slightly lighter note. So uh, earlier this week when we were chatting, um, and I, I'm very proud to say as a Malaysian that you actually love durian. And <laughs> um, it's one of the, I, I, would want, I don't know whether I should say very few things, but it's one of the few things. Yeah, it's one of the things that make me proud to be a Malaysian that we, uh, you know, uh, as, as a country, we produce one of the best durian <laughs> fruits in the, in the whole wide world. <laughs> I, I, could, I couldn't agree more. And uh, yes, it's, uh, uh, it's an interesting experience with durian. The first time you uh, smell it really. Uh, it, it's a bit off-putting, uh, but then if you uh, uh, put uh, uh, yourself past that moment of the the, the, 
the smell and you taste it, it's so deliciously sweet, like anything else you've ever tried. And uh, I said, my uh, my wife loves uh, loves the fruit. And the other day she was saying, well, I have done a research and I, to, to your point, and I have, I have found out that the best students in the world are in Malaysia. So I think there's a lot of stuff to see in Malaysia anyway. So I think we should try and arrange a trip to Malaysia with the family. And uh, I have three kids, uh, the, the oldest two, they really don't like the smell or the taste. They tried it, fair, fair play. And the youngest one likes uh, uh, the smell, believe it or not, and obviously the taste. So we, we know who's going to go to the Turi with the durian tasting event with us if we ever make that trip. Uh, but if I, we do, I, I, will, I will ask for advices around touring, uh, touring Malaysia. Yeah, yeah, I'll help. I'll happily give you advice, or I'll even take you myself if if I if I can. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's 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 in, it's really interesting because I I didn't I didn't actually grow up really liking durian, but uh, uh, now I love it. Uh, I'm just curious because a lot of uh, usually when I speak to uh, you know someone living in the UK or or US or even you know Australia, New Zealand. When they describe durian to me, that the equivalent uh, description, I guess, a lot of them would say it's, it's it kind of reminds them of blue cheese. How would you, how would you, would you do you agree with that? Or is there a better way to, to put it? Uh, I'm Italian, so I have to say gorgonzola cheese. Yes, uh, very similar. It's a, in, it's a off-putting smell at the beginning and then you go past it and it's delicious. Uh, or, uh, yeah, definitely, I would say very soon. But the thing is, like, obviously, like, the cheese is, you know, um, saltiness and uh, creaminess mm. and stuff. The sweetness of, of durian is uh, incredible. Uh, so, but, so yeah, I, I, I would recommend to everybody, try, guys, try. <laughs> I even uh, learned how to awesome. open it. Huh? <laughs> I even learned how to open it, which is tricky. Oh, wow. Tricky. Do you, do you actually do you get uh, I am guessing you do get frozen ones uh, over where you are right Yeah you can get fresh ones as well um, Oh I have to say though they're mostly Thai mm, mm -mm. Uh, which is great as well but uh, according to my <laughs> wife search Malaysia is number one <laughs> Yay! <laughs> okay, I mean, I mean, we could carry on talking about durian forever, and, and repo markets too. But <laughs> uh, it's been it's been great to have you on, Enrico. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to speak with me, and we look to having you back soon. Thank you very much, Michelle. Appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Very exciting. Thanks a lot.